Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. God, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity to study your word and to learn more about this really awkward time in Israel's history. Lord, I'm so thankful for these new our new people joining our, our, our class tonight, joining us on this journey. Lord, there are people out there in podcast land who have come across this and are listening, and we're so thankful for them as well. And God, we're, we're just, it's such a blessing, Lord, to learn from you and to learn even from a really, really, really ancient text and see how it can apply today in our lives. God, we just thank you again for this journey we get to be on, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are in Judges chapter 3, and as a reminder, you'll see on the top of the worksheet there, we talked about this in our opening sessions, there is a cycle. This cycle is going to go through with all the major judges. There's going to be major judges, kind of like there's major prophets and minor prophets. It doesn't mean that with a major prophet like an Isaiah and a minor prophet like a Nahum or a Habakkuk, it doesn't mean that the major prophet is more important. It, it just, it largely has to do with real estate. Isaiah is massive. And uh, Jonah is like five pages. I mean, they're equally as important. They're, they're God's word. But you've got big real estate and little real estate in terms of text. Think of the same way here in terms of judges. We're going to get some major judges, the ones that are going to be the, the big teaching moments, and there is some minor judges. The minor judges are just going to get a couple lines, okay? The major judges, like Samson's going to get multiple chapters. Gideon, even Barak next week. I mean, yeah, yeah, big time. So, but with the major, the major judges, excuse me, the major judges, you've got this cycle. Israel apostatizes, okay? They do evil in the eyes of the Lord. Then God gets angry, or Yahweh gets angry. And then in that anger, you're going to see something happening usually. And that something is going to be, the enemy is going to come and the enemy is going to enslave Israel or they're going to do something to Israel. They're going to hurt them. They're going to, and then Israel is going to cry out. And then you're going to see Yahweh's compassion. And in that compassion, God's going to raise up a judge. And that judge is going to deliver the people. And the judge is supposed to have a moral quality as well, to be like God's guy. And so Israel's apostasy, Yahweh's anger, Yahweh's compassion. And then the cycle continues. After all said and done, eventually that judge is going to die. And then Israel is going to do evil again. Because like you and me, we just don't learn. And we like to serve our own self. And we like to serve our issues. And we like to, we like to keep sinning. And it's just part of our life. And I know that because Jesus harps on that. To follow him is first to deny yourself. And self-denial is a huge, huge part of the Christian life. It's not self-hatred. It's not, nothing like that, but it's self-denial. It's all about thy will be done, not my will be done. Okay? So we are, I just, so you, if you look at Othniel, Ehud, and Shamgar, you'll kind of see, especially with the first two are major judges, you see in the one, two, and three, the things from the opening up there. Okay? So you're not surprised. Israel's apostasy, Yahweh's anger, Yahweh's going So that's just going to continue on uh, throughout uh, the book of Judges. So... Let's check out Othniel, 7 to 11. Here we go. 
So the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. Then the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of, here's a proper name for you, let's see what I can do, Kushan Rishathaim, king of Aram Naharaim. And the Israelites served him eight years. But when the Israelites cried out to the Lord, he raised up Othniel, son of Caleb's younger brother, Kenaz, as a deliverer to save them. The spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he became Israel's judge and went out to war. And the Lord delivered Cushan Rishathaim, king of Aram, into the hand of Othniel, who prevailed against them. So the land had rest for 40 years until Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. So we got here, first of all, Israel, Israel's apostasy. And the text gave us a clue about something. It put it as the Baals and the Asherahs. Now, sometimes you'll find in the Old Testament, there's an Asherah and there's an Ashtoreth. And they sound the, they sound the same. They kind of look the same, but they're different. And they're really different. It's like one is like the mom and one is a wife. Okay, so Baal is the number one guy. Asherah is his wife. So whenever you went, and let's say you were a pagan and you were traveling to places and you would want to know as you entered a town, who are you going to pay homage to? Who are you going to, 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 to worship? To go light a candle for or whatnot. Who, and, so, and so in this area, it was Baal. And every place had, a, had, had like a daddy and a mommy god. You had like a husband and a wife god, a god and a goddess that you worshipped. In Canaan, it was Baal and his wife, Asherah. And you'll see Asherah come up a lot, especially in the Kings and Chronicles, because she always had a pole. Okay, she had these poles that were stuck in the high places. And so to get rid of the Asherah poles was a big deal for a king to be faithful. So... Uh, Ashtoreth um, is, I believe she is more like Baal's mom, but Asherah is what we're looking at here, okay? So the Baals and the Asherahs. So that's what Israel did. They forgot gods. Their apostasy is they started worshiping the gods of their neighbors. You know those neighbors they didn't drive out? The neighbors they allowed to stay, some of them got defeated by the, 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 these natural residents of the promised land. And Israel starts worshiping their gods and their goddesses and serves them. And God considers that evil. And so we're going to look at number two here, Yahweh's anger. A lot of people like to look at life and they like to say, well, it's bad, but it's not as bad as other things. And we like to define evil in our own eyes. We will define right and wrong based upon, I don't know, public opinion, based upon, I don't know, Twitter or social media, what people think about, about things. Maybe at some certain point, this was seen as really bad, but, you know, give 40 years or so, and all of a sudden it's not so bad anymore, or people are just like, yeah, whatever, you know, fight different battles. Evil is not defined by us. The text is clear here. They did evil in the sight of the Lord of God himself. He defines evil. He defies right and wrong. So when you're listening to people and they're saying, oh, well, that's just wrong, a good response could be, well, by what standard is that wrong? What's your preconception there? 
What's your presupposition about right and wrong? Well, it just feels wrong. Feelings are really bad guides. Well, why do you think that's wrong? Well, because God said it's wrong. God's word, the Bible, said this is wrong. And Israel did evil in the eyes of God. Okay, so God is angry about that. And that's the situation here. He's, well, look at this. He sold them into the hand of, what's this guy's name? His name kind of translates as dark, doubly wicked. Now, I've come across some odd names in my day, but there's no mommy or daddy that's naming their child dark and doubly wicked. So this is like the narrator taking a shot at this guy, okay? And so, yeah, uh, he's kind of like a comical description of a king who is no doubt horribly wicked, and uh, he doesn't get to have his proper name listed. And uh, yeah, so we also, let's see, Aram Naharim, the Arameans are going to play a large role in our text today. They, you'll find them, uh, the Arameans are the original uh, Assyrians. And so you, you will find them uh, throughout the Old Testament. But yeah, so, yes, yeah, so uh, a text coming in from... Oh, Randy, uh, my translation is the pressure listed as Kushan the doubly wicked. W well done. And uh, it harks back to, or maybe forward to Habakkuk, why send someone worse to punish Israel? Yeah, that's a big question. Israel's being bad, so we're going to be, we're going to punish you by someone who's really bad. Uh, Matthew texted, anyone else see Asherah? Uh, that is actually Hebrew, so uh, Asherah is, is singular, and when you see O-T-H, that is plural. So, one translation will translate it Asherahs, like a plural proper noun. In the Hebrew, it would be Asherot. It would be that, that means that's how you translate in plural. So, uh, and you'll have that. Uh, so Asherah, ending in ah is singular, ending in ot, O-T-H is plural. So that's, that's just basically how the Hebrew does plural for masculine. And then an Asherah is a feminine and she gets O-T-H. So great question. So the Asherot, essentially. So the Baal, Baalim, in plural for masculine, is im, and uh, Asherot, plural for feminine, the Baals and the Asherahs. Excellent. Great question. And Yahweh's compassion. We have ideal Othniel. So we, what do we know about the situation? Not a lot, but uh, we kind of have a general idea who this guy is, where he's from, and he's going to be in charge for eight years. And he's going to be so bad that Israel is going to cry out. And Yahweh has compassion here. So we have, so we have uh, compassion of, of, of our God here. And he raised up Othniel, son of Caleb's younger brother. So Othniel. Now, those of you who are familiar with Caleb, Caleb, at best, is a mixed-race Israelite. He gets, he gets to be in the he gets to be called a Judahite. He gets to be part of Judah, but he is he's got enough Gentile in him. He's he's got a mixed race ancestry, and so he's like a Rahab or a Ruth, someone who's grafted in, but then he's got a mixed race. So he's not even a pure Israelite, and he's one of the toughest, strongest, most loyal, godly people that was in Joshua's day. And so, but Caleb. And we learned about him a couple weeks ago. And those of you who have studied the book of Joshua, you get to hear about Caleb as well. 
and he was one of those spies. He wanted, when they conquered the promised land, he wanted the biggest and baddest. He wanted that area and he conquered them. He wanted the Anakites and he said, okay, I'm taking them out. And then and we learned that he, um, he has an offer on the table for his daughter. Say, okay, those, whoever can satisfy this test of mine gets to marry my daughter and Othniel steps up. So Othniel comes into the family and Othniel is, is related to Caleb, um, like a nephew of sorts. So Othniel's kind of have a mixed race too. So why do I bring this up? This guy is listed first. He is the ideal judge. No other judge in the book of Judges is going to match up to Othniel. He's the best. He is the greatest. And he's the one, he's the ideal, ideal Othniel. And another question comes in, what would it mean if Asherahs were replaced by the words, the groves? Yeah, that might be a, a rendering of that. I haven't been, thought about that in a while. That Hebrew word might mean, or it might be a cousin to the word meaning groves. And I believe the Asherah poles had something with the groves in them. Like you could find them in those areas and, and they became and they became known for Asherah. So certain parts of, of the country, don't quote me on that. I haven't thought about that for a while, but it's a great question. So thank you. And Othniel gets the shortest shrift in the book. Yeah, Shamgar, we're going to see, is also faithful. He gets one sentence. So there you go. But, but we'll get there. All right. So Israel's apostasy, Yahweh's anger, Yahweh's compassion. A couple of things here. With Othniel, we just get simple faithfulness. Just that's, that's it. God raised him up and he served. Now, be a simple man. Be a simple woman. You don't have to be deep and dark and mysterious. Just be simple. That's not a bad thing. Something about you ought to be just a simple faith. I like that old, old hymn, Trust and Obey. I like that. It's just something very simple and direct about that. As the story goes, someone was preaching one night and there was a hymn writer there and they were interviewing the audience and, hey, what do you think about that? Well, I don't know much, some old, old timer said, but I know two things. You got to trust God and you got to obey God. And the hymn writer was like, oh my goodness, trust and obey. And the hymn was born from that conversation. There's something about having a simple, direct faith where you just live your life. There's no surprise about you. It's like, you, you know what you're going to get with you is, well, you know what? This person has a great faith and there's just something about them that I know where they're going to stand. I know what I'm going to get from them. I know what kind of person they are and what kind of, it's, it's, it's when you start changing things up and well, I'm going to be nuanced and just have a faith like Othniel, simple, direct, obedient. God raised him up. He went to work and there's no limitations here. He had some things working against him. He might've been a different color. There might've been a different color to his skin. He had a different, back in the time when ancestry made a, meant a lot, he had a different ancestry. He was related to Caleb who had a different ancestry. And no limitations here. Certain of us want to go, oh, well, you know what, life is hard. Or, you know, it's, it's the COVID time and, and um, it's just really hard. And I mean, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I mean, I think God will understand because I just, life is really hard right now. And well, guess what? Life is hard right now. Life stinks. Okay. I, I forget what day of the week it is sometimes. All my days just go right in a row. But I got to tell you, I had a COVID miracle today. I just wanted to just, just brighten this up a bit. I went and got my teeth cleaned. Okay. So I was at the dentist. I had, I had something scheduled 
I had my teeth clean, you know, six months ago or whatever. And then, okay, we're going to come back. Get this. If my dentist is hearing this somehow, then I'm sorry. But they did, they did um, x-rays. They found a cavity, okay? I haven't had a cavity in a while. They found a cavity. And so all of a sudden, I could not come back because everything was shut down with the COVID. Okay, so no, no, no offices were open for a certain amount of time. So I had to keep rescheduling my appointment, blah, 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 blah. Finally, it was to today. So I went in there and, and six months have come around. So it's time for a cleaning again. And you know, the dentist comes in at the very end. Hey, how's it going? Let me poke around in there, see what I find, and, and see what we got going on here. And I'm thinking, okay, man, he's, he's probably not only going to find that cavity, but who knows what's happened during this quarantine. He's probably going to find one or two more, knowing, knowing how I live. So he's, go, he's poking around in there. He's like, okay, let's look at these teeth. Boom, 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 going all around there. I'm just waiting for the shoe to drop. And then he, he gets up. He goes, you can put your mask back on, Mr. Bradshaw. Like, yes, sir. And he's like, yeah, clean bill of health, no cavities. How does that happen? How does that happen? Now, probably what happened was it showed up on the x-ray, but not on the, you know, the poking or whatnot. But, yeah, I, was able to, I went away going, it's a COVID miracle. I had no uh, – I, I, I had – clean bill of cavity health when I had cavities before. So, uh, you know, life is like that sometimes where you see unexpected fun, unexpected uh, surprises, but you know, you get unexpected other things too. And 2020 has just been one of those years where just one thing after another, no limitations. So you're holding tough cards. So life is really rough. So the, the what, what's an old way to put it? So the terriers are nipping at your heels. Have a simple faith. You don't have to have nuances. You don't, you don't have to say, oh, well, if I do this, I'll do that. No, God said it, believe it, follow him. HBO, hear the word of the Lord, believe the word of the Lord and obey the word of the Lord. Well, that's awful simplistic. Well, it is, isn't it? That's your start. That's my start. That, that's where we're at. And yeah, it's, but you, we can, you have the power to follow God. On your own, of course not. On your own, you're a sinner, and you, you will never turn to God. But God's drawn you to him, and God gives you that ability to, to, to obey him. And he gives, you, um, he gives you not only the willingness to want to obey him, but he gives you the ability to obey him. And that very sentence divided the church about 1,600 years ago. Othniel. The next one is the gross one. This one is... You're getting your money's worth listening to me read this one. This is disgusting. Okay, here we go. Ehud. Ehud. Ehud? It's, there's a Ehud. You know what? I'm just going to say Ehud here for the sake of uh, your screens. You know, I don't hawk anything up. Trivia question. We had at Trinity, we had, we had to take a, a placement test. A New Testament one and an Old Testament one. And there were guys who had, everyone was freaking out about the Old Testament one. They were, what are they going to dig up for, you know, you got to take these tests. And go, okay. And, and there was a couple of older students that came along and said, hey, I'm not going to tell you what's on the test. I'll say one thing. Just remember Ehud. He's the left-handed judge. That's all I'm saying. And he showed up on the test, by the way. So that's just, I've never forgotten this guy because of that. Well, you're never going to forget this guy because of his story, which is, uh, delightfully, delightfully disgusting. Here we go. Once again, the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. We're not surprised. So we gave Eglon. Eglon kind of means a bull or like a fattened calf for the slaughter. And it's going to make a lot of sense here because, uh, yeah, he gave Eglon, king of Moab. This is Ruth's people, Orpah and Ruth. Here we go. The Moabites, power over Israel. 
because they had done evil on the side of the Lord. After enlisting the Ammonites and the Amalekites to join forces with him, Eglon attacked and defeated Israel, taking possession of the city of Palms. Those of you who want to know what that city is, Yarik O, Jericho. So it's like we're getting a reversal of Joshua chapter 6. It's like uh, they're going to take Israel back, or uh, excuse me, take Jericho back. The Israelites served Eglon, king of Moab, 18 years. And again, they cried out to the Lord. And he raised up Ehud, son of Gerah, a left-handed Benjamite, as their deliverer. And there's a little piece of trivia there. And the original reader would go, oh, that's funny. Benjamin means son of my right hand. So you got a left-handed, right-handed guy? Seriously? That's the guy you're, so like, a, a, I've heard of a black sheep, but that's like a black sheep from a black sheep. Man, a left-handed son of my right hand, Benjamin, yeah. So they sent him a tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. So they're going to go try to buy him off. Okay. Now Ehud made for himself a double-edged sword, a cubit long. He strapped it to his right thigh under his cloak. No, no. Picture that for a second. There aren't a lot of left-handed guys, okay? It's, it is, normally, the, the, you wouldn't send a left-handed guy to do business or whatnot. That just wasn't a thing. So if you're standing there and you're right-handed, okay, this is my right hand, and you're going to, and you're going to have a sword, where's that sword going to be? You're going to reach across your body, and that sword's going to be on your left thigh. So you can go, shing, and pull it out. He's got his sword where? On his right thigh. So people are coming into the throne room and they're kind of giving them the cursory, you know, pat them down, make sure they're not hiding anything. Why check the right thigh? Nobody's going to have their weapon over there because who would be like, oh yeah, I'm going to get you. You know, you're not going to get anything, especially with robes or whatnot, belts. And so they're going to check out the left thigh. Aha, Ehud's got them fooled. They don't know he's left-handed. He's reaching across that way, so he's going to hide something. He's got a special made double-edged dagger. Double-edged so that once it's stuck in, it's going to make a killing blow. On both sides, are, 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 yeah, this, is, this is a sneaky guy. A long thing, a cubit. It's kind of like, you know, fingertip to elbow kind of thing. That's a lot. Okay. Now, here we get some fun information. All right. Then uh, I have a secret message for you. Well, let's finish that. Hold on. Uh, uh, he strapped it to his right thigh under his cloak. He brought it to the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, who was an obese man. So evidently, his fatness is going to be an issue here because the text is going to bring it up. All right. After Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he ushered out those who had carried it. But upon reaching the idols near Gilgal, he himself turned back and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. Now, if you're the king here, you're going to be like, okay, not only did you just bribe me, you just brought me all your gold or all whatever, but now you, you foreigner with a foreign God, have a message for me. Ooh, this would be good. I can't wait to hear how I'm going to be blessed further. I bet your God has something to say to me. I bet this is going to be great. This is, oh, come on, in. So this would have been a great moment for Eglon. Oh, let him in. Let's hear all about this. Wow. The king rose from his seat. And Ehud reached with his left hand, pulled the sword from his right thigh, and plunged it into Eglon's belly. Even the handle sank in after the blade, and Eglon's fat closed in over it, so that Ehud did not withdraw the sword from his belly. 
yummy. And Eglon's bowels empty. It emptied. Do I need to say what happened there? What part of the body he stabbed? It's like he exploded something that is not meant to explode by his stab. And all of a sudden, everything's all over the floor. Okay. Then Ehud went out through the porch, closing and locking the doors in the upper room behind him. After Ehud was gone, Eglon's servants came and found the doors of the upper room locked. He must be relieving himself in the cool room, they said. I mean, they're, they're making fun of Eglon's weight again here. He's just the typical fat guy sitting on the toilet too long. I'm sure his servants have been there before. Well, where's the king? He's still on the potty. And I can tell. It's everywhere. We can smell it. Well, I, he takes forever. Just relax. This is your time to relax. The king is doing his business. You can finally relax. This is a great time when the king sits on the potty. Great. Well, so they're used to him being in there for a while. So here it is. Where's he at? Well, he, he must be relieving himself. So they waited till he became worried. So evidently enough was enough. Like, okay, we can smell it. Whatever's going on in there, we get it, King. You just go, you do, you do you. You have at it, you know. We're out here. And eventually they're like, okay, enough already. He, he, there's no way he's still going. Something's got to be going on here. He's never gone this long. I mean, I'm reading too much into this, but they're worried about his poop time. Okay? Because that's what they're thinking here. They're thinking he's having a poop time. All right? They're thinking he's by himself. He's up there. That's what he does up there. And we can smell it. Whatever. Okay. So, yeah, eventually they're worried. And um, he hadn't opened the doors yet. So they took the key. They opened the doors. And there was their Lord lying dead on the floor. Wow. Ehud, however, had escaped while the servants waited. He passed by all the idols and escaped to Sarah. On arriving at Seirah, he blew the ram's horn, that shofar, throughout the hill country of Ephraim. The Israelites came down with him from the hills, and he became their leader. Follow me, he told them, for the Lord has delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. So they followed him down and seized the fords of the Jordan leading to Moab, and did not allow anyone to cross over. At that time, they struck down about 10,000 Moabites, all robust and valiant men. Not one of them escaped. So Moab was subdued under the hand of Israel that day. And the land had a rest for 80 years. Wow. Israel's apostasy, again, defined by God. One, one of the themes about the book of Judges is, is the closing verse of the book. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And that describes many cultures, including our own that you get to define morality, you get to define what, the, what is ethically solvent or whatnot. And no, it's right in God's eyes, right and wrong in God's eyes. And so again, um, they did evil. Wow. And then God gets angry. But here, and I believe in judges only here, does God actually give power to the enemy? He didn't just raise up this enemy. He didn't just say, come on in. I'm not going to stop you. Just come on in. He gives power. It's like God is the one, it's pictured like at the head of the army here. It's like what happened with Habakkuk and with Nahum and with the Babylonians. Like, okay, they're going to be my army and they're going to come. I mean, this is, God is giving them power. Wow. And he raises a trickster. 
18 years. Wow. So just a brief, a brief point. I'll, I'll, get, I'll get to that, uh, what we missed up under oath, Neil, for a second here. But 18 years. Could you imagine 18 years of this pain? Can you imagine what they were going through? And, and, and we're not getting a 1 John 1, 9 here. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. No, we're not getting a repentance from Israel here. We're not getting, oh, we've sinned against you, God. Oh, uh, you know, hide your face from my sins, like a Psalm 51. No, we're getting, ah, ah, the, the, the whips and the, the, the punishment and the pain. And we're sick of this pain. Ah, and God heard that, ah. God heard that pain. And they cried out in pain and God responded to that pain. So many people think you've got to respond to God the right way. You, get, you have to do things the, this way. You've got to do things. If you don't say these certain words, God's not going to listen to you. And that's a bunch of baloney because these people didn't even know how to call upon God. All they had was their pain and they called out and that was enough. God's compassion arose. And that compassion, he, wrote, he wrote, raised up a deliverer. Even an Ehud. You see, God doesn't always raise up an Othniel. You know, it's, that's the world of politics. You sometimes get really great politicians. Other times you have these really random guys. Like, what in the world was that? God doesn't always raise up a George Washington. We don't always get the ideal kind of leader kind of guy. God raises up others. We're going to see this in Gideon's story. Gideon's going to be hiding. Gideon's going to be so afraid he has to test God like twice. There's no way you're calling me God. He's going to raise up a Samson who's going to appear like an Othniel, but he's not going to be an Othniel at all. God doesn't always raise up an Othniel. We have to pay attention to what God is doing, how he's leading you, how he's guiding you and directing you. Be real with God. Israel was just real. They just cried out in pain. They were jerks. They took advantage of God. They had Othniel, and then he died, and they went right back to their ways again. Othniel, ideal Othniel, trickster Ehud. And then verse 31, we get a Shamgar, everyone's favorite guy, Shamgar. After Ehud came Shamgar, son of Anat. If Anat's in heaven one day, I'm going to ask him. I'm actually not going to think about it probably. Hey, how'd you land on Shamgar? How was that your first name there? Okay. Came Shamgar, and he too saved Israel, striking down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. Now, an ox goad, for those of you who are not, um, you know, farm people, back in the day, you had like a stick, a pointed stick that was a goad. Okay. You encourage, the, kind of like how spurs are on a, a rider of a horse. You're encouraging the animal to keep going. A goat is, okay, keep going, ox. An ox goat, okay? An ox goat is nothing to write home about. But this old boy is striking down 600 Philistines. You would think after Philistine number 45 or 72, they'd realize, how in the world is he still killing us with this stinking farm implement, this wooden staff? How is that winning? How in the world... Are we attacking him like they do in the cartoons or one guy at a time attack? I mean, how did he pull this off? I don't know. But this is God's guy. 
And, and we're just assuming it's God's guy because we don't even have the usual way to go about it here. We've got just a simple-minded dedication. The, man, the minor judges don't get the, uh, the, the, the big, you know, the, the cycle, the apostasy, anger. They just get descriptions. And Anoxico, Shamgar, um, he is, just like Othniel is, is like the, the ideal major judge, Shamgar is listed first as a minor judge. He's the ideal minor judge. So what's ideal about him? Text coming in. With Shamgar, do you think he was basically a continuation after Ehud? I mean, 80 years is a long time, and there's no mention of, his, of apostasy requiring his presence. That's a good point. We, don't, we have no idea. In fact, we got a different country here, don't we, where the Moabites were taken care of, and now all of a sudden we have the Philistines. Well, where do they come from? Well, they're nearby, and evidently they were a problem because they required being struck down. And the text doesn't tell us for Shamgar. We have little detail. All we get is single-minded faithfulness. And it's, it's kind of like Israel's thing. They most likely disobeyed again. The text didn't, didn't exactly have to tell us because they, they did it twice before. But the text doesn't say. But it does say he too saved Israel. So Israel required saving. So something happened. And... The way it's happened before is they were bad and God sent an enemy. And the text doesn't tell us here, but we are just, we're, he too saved Israel. And it's Philistines, no less. Just single-minded dedication. My goodness. I don't know why he had to kill 600 of these guys. I don't know why. But look at the dedication that took to deliver his people from their oppressors. Let's bring this home. It's a shorter lesson tonight. Oh, well, it's fine. God has raised you up and given you a mission. No, no, I'm not one of these guys. Come on. I'm just, I'm just trying to make my way. I'm just a regular guy. Wrong. You are a follower of Jesus. You are a disciple disciple who is commanded to make disciples. You have a mission. You have a great commission. Love the Lord your God with all of you and love your neighbor as yourself. That is mission one and mission 1A. Every single day of your life, those two things must be true. They're not suggestions, they're commandments. You've got a mission. Can you live Jesus in front of the people that God has brought you? You know, this COVID time is just, it's a weird time where we're, we're kind of at home and we're not, we're not getting, you know, we're, this is six to eight feet and we're just not getting up with people like we used to and shaking hands and hugging. And, and for some people, that's a blessing. And they're like, yes, finally, I don't have to hug people. And others are like, I just want to hug people. And it's, it's a different world, but we're still connected. Social media has connected us like no, no, no other time. We're just, we just, we can just text, we can, we can call, we can Zoom. I mean, my goodness, how many cities are we in right now? And something that we can't even see, the internet's connecting us. God has raised you up and given you a mission. No, you're not Othniel. No, you're not Ehud. No, you're not Shamgar. But could you have a single-minded dedication about your life? You know what? You wake up today, by golly, this is the day that the Lord has made. 
I'm going to rejoice and be glad in him. I'm going to have find joy in this day and I'm going to have gladness. Gladness is satisfaction. I'm going to be satisfied with God, what he's doing in my life, how he's leading me, where he's bringing me. I'm going to bloom where I am planted. I'm going to give God glory. First Corinthians 10 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. I love that verse has, and whatever you do. It's like, yes, everything. Give God glory. Glory means to make more weighty. Make yourself less weighty and make God more weighty. More oomph. Is God getting that or are you seeking that? Have a single-minded dedication. Are you genuine with God in your circumstances? Israel didn't have this great theological moment with God. They just cried. They moaned. In fact, the Hebrew there pictures it as they whined like a dog. They were just coming before God with howls and yowls. Okay. It's similar to when they were in the wilderness and the wanderings and following Moses. It's the exact, exact, similar cousin of word where it's like, where's the water? Where's the water, Moses? Where's our food? It's the, the, the Hebrews picturing a, yell, a, a yowling dog, like a whiny mm, 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 kind of thing. And it's like, okay, enough already. Are you going to trust me? Or are you going to trust God? Or are, you gonna tr- or are you not going to trust God? And here we have right here, they're, they're yowling again. That's what the Hebrew gives us there. This go, and they're not even having this great moment with the God said, God, we've sinned. Please, oh Lord, forgive me, forgive. They're just saying we're hurting. They're just, they're genuine. Is that you? Are you genuine with God? Or do you have to like, certain people when they pray, they got to have these big words. And they got to have, it's like they, they, they change all of a sudden. Like, let's pray, dear God. It's like, okay. Hold on. We beseech the, uh, just be real. Just be genuine. Talk to God like you're talking to, uh, just like you're talking to somebody. Just have a conversation. Now you can be reverent, but be genuine. And it's like, you're not going to pull a fast one over God. And uh, are you genuine with God in your circumstances? I encourage that. God's not going to smite you down. He's complaining again. Seriously? She's saying that again? Didn't she learn her lesson? No. No. I'm going to be real with you, God. Has rationalization limited your faithfulness? Oh, no, he didn't. There's a lot that you might want to rationalize. You might say, you know, I've got this health thing that's really hard. Some of you might say, you know, I get it that I've got things I need to work on. But I'm not as bad as this guy or this gal over here. Boy, I mean, come on. If you heard her gossip, you know that I'm not that as much. Or you rationalize it. You say, well, life is too hard. Maybe God's going to give me a mulligan or a do-over. He's going to grade me on the curve. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm just going to be okay. I'm just going to, at the end, I'll, just, I'll give God his props. And I'll, okay, God, yeah, 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 yeah. And right now, I just got to get, I got to get life figured out. I just got to, it's like we're constantly treating God like freshman year of college. where We don't know what the heck's going on. And we're taking all these survey classes to try to find out what, what we're doing. And those classes just don't usually amount, amount to much. No, great. Yeah, look at that. You know, boy, isn't that grand? How about this one over here? And we rationalize. We have excuses. And then our excuses, we, our excuses kind of like, um, they treat God with a yeah, but. 
yeah, I mean, God says, do this, be this way. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I mean, and I've said this before, get rid of the yeah buts. There should be no buts. There should be no I love you but. But ruins the I love you. You wouldn't put up with my sentence if I said, well, I'm not a racist, but you can guarantee the next thing I'm going to say is going to be the racist thing ever. I'm not a sexist, but, you know, I'm not this, but I'm just going to say this. No. It's just, that's, that's a worthless sentence at that point. It doesn't accomplish anything but reveal what's going on really in someone's heart. So when I love you, but, I mean, I would obey you, God, but, I mean, right now, God, I just got to figure this out. And then, hello, you're never going to, I've got someone in my life that she, she, she needs counseling and she wants counseling, but she's, she's not willing to, 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 to take the first step because life is hard and my heart breaks for her. And there are people who want to build into her life, but her life is really hard right now. And it's just hard to take another step. You got to take that first step. When life is at its hardest, you need God the most. This is not the time to pull the Heisman pose and to try to just figure out what you're going to do. Um, God's raised you up and given you a mission. So when we read about Othniel and Ehud and Shamgar, there's elements of these people that you got to be saying, yeah, they seized that moment offered to them. They didn't have any excuses. They didn't argue with God. They didn't pull a Moses and say, well, I stutter. Have you really thought this out, God? I have the speaking proud. Have you thought this out, God? I mean, my, my bro Aaron's a little bit better speaker. Seriously, God, have you thought this out? God's sitting there in a burning bush going, you know, you make a good point. I guess I should think more. I mean, seriously. We have these rationalizations. What's your rationalization? What is your yeah, but? You know what God expects of you. You know how you need to be more faithful. What is your yeah, but? I don't know what it is. If you are still sinning the same sin that you've been sinning for 40 years, for 30 years, for 20 years, you're right. There's some rationalization somewhere. What is it? I know that's part of my story. Oh, good Lord. All the rationalizations I have done in my life. What's yours? Because I'm not seeing rationalizations here. I'm not seeing it in Othniel. I'm not seeing it in Ehud. And I'm not seeing it, certainly not seeing it in Shamgar. Has rationalization limited your faithfulness? If so, we've got to find a way to stop rationalizing. Logic and ration, the, the, the logical part of that, like, well, God, this is not the right time. Logically speaking, God, this doesn't make sense right now. It will never make sense. Faith never on its own makes sense. There's nothing about faith that just logically makes sense. That's why it's faith and not logic. Faith and logic can go together, but on its own, faith is just not logical. It just doesn't play that way. It's just one grand cause and effect. And faith is not like that. Especially the Christian faith. Has rationalization won over your heart? That's why I got to leave you with that. Because Othniel was mixed race. Ehud had a weird hand. The text kind of paints it as, you know, he was, he was odd-handed. He did everything backwards in a world that would have said, what in the world? That didn't limit him. 
Maybe you're that odd, odd person in your family. Maybe you're Ehud. Maybe you're a trickster. Maybe you're a prankster. Maybe you are this ideal. Maybe you're the ideal one. Everyone looks up to you and they don't know the real you. And you rationalize a lot of things. Maybe you're just a simple person with a simple faith and you just obey. Rock on. Thanks for joining us tonight. We're going to start next week is going to start a bigger story. And we're going to meet a couple of people that you're, you're, you're going to like. So sorry for the, uh, the great journey tonight with a bunch of blood and poop and fun stuff. But, uh, you know, in the midst of all that, there was faith and God delivered his people. And if you believe it or not, the king died before his armies died. It's like he got rid of the big bad guy before all of his armies got to die. It's like it went backwards. Of course it did with Ehud. Everything was backwards. So why not kill the king first and then everyone, all of his army can die? Why not? Sometimes life works that way. But what about you can't be backwards? What about you needs to glorify God all the time? Well, all of you. But what about you? What are you holding back? Thanks for joining us tonight. We'll continue next week. God bless.